Greetings. So today we're going to talk about the fun and ever-present topic of being drunk in the emergency department. Apparently, alcohol is involved in nearly half of all trauma-related deaths and responsible for 2.7 million ED visits annually. And it feels like about a million of those occur in RED. So let's talk about how we assess the drunk patient, how to manage the drunk patient, and things we really need to consider in all drunk patients. Now, we're all very guilty of blowing off the acutely intoxicated patient. It's sometimes really hard not to, right? Particularly the ones that come in day after day after day. Unfortunately, alcohol puts patients at high risk for trauma, GI disorders, metabolic derangements, infections, and generally making bad decisions that increase their likelihood of needing emergent medical care. So while it is oh so tempting to blow them off, this is one population of patient with whom we should actually be more vigilant. So let's take this one step at a time. I will start by saying all of the following apply to any altered patient, whether we suspect alcohol is on board or not. Drunk patients are just more likely to have all of the normal causes of altered mental status. So this talk is really more just about the management of altered mental status in general, but I want to stress this for drunk patients because that's by far the most common reason why we see altered mental status, or at least it's a factor in it, okay? The first assumption we need to make is that a patient who is intoxicated is intoxicated plus some other form of badness. If we start with this assumption, the likelihood that we miss the badness part of everything is much lower. So let's start with the basics. ABCs. Is their airway intact? If the answer is no, then obviously we need to fix that first with a tube in the face. Maybe they're just so intoxicated from alcohol or alcohol plus other substances that they aren't protecting their airway. I will include in this category the completely unruly, batch crazy drunk person who needs to be sedated and possibly intubated for their safety and the safety of everyone else in the department. If we can't do a proper assessment and look for the other causes of altered mental status, then we need to make sure the patient and the staff are safe, right? So maybe they're choking on vomit pizza. Maybe they were drunk, said the wrong thing, and got punched in the face. Maybe they're drunk and have cirrhosis and are vomiting copious amounts of blood. Or maybe they drank their sodium down to a level of 103 and are seizing. All of these are reasons why a drunk person may need an airway. Luckily, most people that need an airway are kind of obvious, so long as we're looking for it. Then we check breathing. Same concept applies. Are they breathing effectively? Do they have chest trauma? Are they oxygenating and ventilating well enough? Maybe they aspirated and have pneumonia and they're hypoxic. Maybe they're hypoventilating because of multiple intoxicants on board. If there's a concern, chest x-ray is an easy and quick way to get a lot of information. If we can't tell this from looking at them, blood gases can help a lot as well. Then circulation. What's their blood pressure? Heart rate. EKGs can help us look for potential co-ingestions and are actually really helpful in a lot of presumed intoxicated patients. Are they septic and hypotensive? Are they bleeding internally and hypovolemic? Do they have a traumatic injury that we're missing somehow? Or on the contrary, are they actually hypertensive from withdrawal, from a head bleed with pending herniation, from not taking their medications because they aren't taking care of themselves? Most importantly, we need to remember that all of the above are a dynamic process, right? One set of vital signs does not indicate stability. They need to be monitored, reassessed, repeat vital signs every 15 minutes, as big of a pain in the butt as that is. And that's where things get complicated because let's be real, 
they aren't always the most compliant bunch while they're still conscious. If the patient is significantly altered, the next step is NGT. ABC, NGT. So what is NGT? It is not nasogastric tube in this situation, right? Narcan, glucose, thiamine. If a patient is altered, minimally or not responsive, then there are three quick bedside things we can do in just a few seconds. Give Narcan. If there's a narcotic on board, this will help. If not, it will do nothing and it doesn't matter. Check a glucose on all altered patients. If it's low, this is a quick, easy fix. A lot of alcoholics get really low glucose levels. If it's really high, like HHS high in a diabetic, good to know because we can venture down that pathway. Last is thiamine, which really applies mostly to alcoholics or others with chronic malnutrition conditions. Historically, it was taught that you give thiamine before you give glucose to alcoholics, but there's more and more data saying you can treat their hypoglycemia, but treat with thiamine immediately after, and it's probably okay. I wouldn't let someone just be hypoglycemic while we wait to find thiamine and have it come from pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera. Just make sure they get both fairly quickly. All right. So now we have a stable patient that's being monitored well. What are the other things we need to think about in an altered patient, whether or not we think they're drunk? I touched on a lot of these over the last few minutes, but let's dive a little bit more into them. So the first possible cause of altered mental status is abnormal vital signs. Hopefully we addressed a lot of these in the primary survey, but we will always be in a situation where the resuscitation, where we start the resuscitation and stabilize the vital signs, but we still need to figure out why they were abnormal to begin with, right? A lot of the time, if we fix the vital sign, like give the patient oxygen when they're hypoxic or get their blood pressure up with fluids or pressors or blood or whatever, then the patient's mental status is likely going to improve, at least to some degree. Specifically, when we're thinking of intoxicated patients, we have to think about hemorrhage as a cause or an exacerbating factor of their altered mental status. Assess for trauma. We really should get altered and intoxicated patients naked and do a very thorough secondary survey. How often do we actually do that, right? We admittedly skip this step a lot, like way too much. It's easy to assume drunk people are just drunk, but again, being drunk is a risk factor for getting your ass kicked and being involved in an accident. It's also a risk factor for GI bleeds, which isn't always obvious that someone's bleeding out internally. So having them naked, looking for signs of trauma, liver failure, performing the Southern handshake should all be part of an initial assessment if this is a legitimate concern. All right, once we have a truly stable patient from a vital sign perspective, then we have to start thinking of the toxic and metabolic causes of altered mental status. This is where the NGT stuff I mentioned above comes into play. These are bedside medications that can quickly improve mental status, but there are many more things to consider in this category. Hyponatremia is a very common cause of altered mental status, particularly in alcoholics. It can cause seizures if levels are less than 120, right? Hypercapnia, if the patient has multiple substances on board, like a narcotic, or has underlying COPD can lead to increased altered mental status. This can be checked with a blood gas. And I think blood gases are really helpful in general with altered mentation when they're obtained timely. They can give you a lot of information, particularly about toxic and metabolic derangements in about two minutes, which beats the hell out of the 45 minute turnaround time that comes from lab, right? You can look for an acidosis, which can, be, which can most certainly cause altered mentation. 
And these are mainly metabolic acido acidoses. I don't know if that's a word. Like alcoholic ketoacidosis, specific overdoses like aspirin or other toxic alcohols. Alcoholics in particular will come in with toxic alcohol ingestions when they can't find regular ethanol, right? They can get their hands on methanol or ethylene glycol or isopropyl alcohol, which will make them super drunk and then toxic and then sometimes dead, right? We can do a whole thing on toxic alcohols eventually because they're actually really interesting, but they're fairly complicated. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. The list of toxic causes of altered mental status is endless. So suffice it to say, finding out if a patient took something other than just regular alcohol is really important. The other major consideration from a toxin perspective in an altered patient, specifically alcoholics, is withdrawal. If it's bad enough, they can be extremely altered and potentially unstable, right? They're typically tachycardic, hypertensive, hallucinating, seizing, very, very, very sick. CUA has always been kind of the, the go-to way to assess for withdrawal, but I, I actually like a scoring system called SUS or S-E-W-S, which is the severity of ethanol withdrawal score, because it's a binary yes or no scale. It includes vital signs and a lot more objective data, right? CWA is very subjective and patients can actually kind of learn the CWA score and fudge it, so to speak. Regardless, if they seem to be withdrawing, these patients need phenobarbital or massive doses of benzos. Phenobarb seems to be our preferred go-to withdrawal medication in the emergency department, but if someone's actively seizing or they're actually unstable, waiting for phenobarb to come from pharmacy is not okay, right? In these situations, they need benzos that we stock in the department. Valium is my go-to benzo, right? 10 to 20 milligrams to start and double it every 10 minutes until the patient is not, no longer doing what it is they were doing, right? Until they're somewhat stable. Ativan can kind of be used in a similar fashion. If it's really bad, just intubate them and put them on a propofol drip, right? That will do the same thing. Then we need to consider infection. If a patient is altered, febrile, or has an obvious source of infection, then it's pretty easy, right? Start on the sepsis pathway. Antibiotics in one hour if the patient is septic. Fluid resuscitation and pressors if needed. The one that sometimes eludes us is when the patient isn't obviously septic, right? So maybe they're not febrile or tachycardic or they don't have an obvious source. However, again, chronic alcoholics are more susceptible to infections, right? But their white blood cells are too drunk to participate in anything. So maybe they don't mount a fever or have a real immune response. If sepsis is a concern and we can't find a source, or if the patient really isn't metabolizing to freedom, so to speak, then we need to consider meningitis or encephalitis and get moving towards an LP. The next consideration is some type of intracranial problem, like mass effect in the brain, right? We should hopefully pick some of this up on a quick but thorough trauma secondary survey that we do on all of these patients, right? But it isn't always that simple. That's why we scan a lot of drunk people, right? It's a quick and easy way for me to tell if they have another reason for being so altered. Alcoholics have kind of small brains in their head and they're particularly susceptible to things like subdural hematomas, right? Even with minor trauma. So the found down drunk person that always comes in, if they can't tell us what happened, most of them are going to get scanned, even if they don't look like they have an injury. If they do have signs of trauma, that's an even better reason to scan them. 
The CT will also pick up like masses from primary or secondary tumors. And let's face it, chronic alcoholics aren't great at getting their yearly physical or going to see a doctor when something seems wrong. So maybe this is how we actually diagnose their cancer, right? The other thing to think about is things like seizures or postictal periods, right? Um, and this should definitely be in the differential, especially in alcoholics, because it might be how they actually present in withdrawal. So keep this in mind too. And that's another reason to get a CT scan on somebody. If all of this checks out and there doesn't seem to be a co-founding reason why the patient is altered and they truly just seem intoxicated, then great. We've got a few options from here. If they're unruly, combative, and a danger to themselves or us, then we can sedate them and let them metabolize their alcohol and other drugs and whatever drugs we gave them. Two, if they're calm and cooperative, we can just let them metabolize themselves to freedom, right? Or three, we can discharge them with a responsible adult, which is always the operative phrase, or at least with some type of safe discharge plan, right? We just need to make sure that with every altered and or intoxicated patient that we are ruling out badness before we just dump them in room 20 and forget they're there for 10 hours, right? We need to always remember that stability is a measurement over time. So we still need to regularly trunk, uh, check on these patients to ensure they're remaining just drunk. All right, so quick recap. An altered patient arrives and we suspect that they're intoxicated or, or maybe we don't suspect they're intoxicated and we think they're altered for a real medical reason, right? ABCs, NGT, two large bore IVs and a cardiac monitor, right? Then we think about the, the five actual causes of altered mental status, right? Abnormal vital signs. If they're abnormal, fix them, right? Um, look for hemorrhage in particular because it may be somewhat subtle in alcoholics. Then we need to consider toxic and metabolic things, right? Get a good history if you can, which is sometimes very difficult. But this includes labs, blood gases, things like that that we can look for for these reasons. Um, infections, so start sepsis protocol, plus or minus a lumbar puncture. Think about intracranial, intracranial processes, right? So CTM or give benzos for seizures or something like that. And if all of that seems okay, then maybe they are just drunk, which let's be real, they probably are. But most importantly, don't forget that one assessment, one set of vital signs does not equal stability. Reassess them frequently, even though we all know it sucks to have to keep going back in and talking to the drunk dude. They still need to be reassessed and monitored. Okay, thanks for listening to my drunk rant, and I hope you guys have a glorious day.